0: Welcome to the Legislate podcast, a place to learn about the latest insights and trends in property, technology, business building and contract drafting. Today, I'm excited to welcome Katrina Crossley, Chief Executive of the International Law Book Facility. The ILBF provides good quality secondhand legal textbooks donated by the UK legal community to not-for-profit organizations in need of legal research resources across the globe. Katrina, thank you for making the time. Would you like to share a bit of background about yourself and the ILBF?
1: Thank you very much, Charles, and thank you for inviting me to the podcast. So I studied law and then I qualified as a barrister. I went to work for Butterworth, which then became LexisNexis. And while I was there, I developed content for lawyers, initially in print. And then as we shifted online and we digitised everything, I started to create online products and digital tools for lawyers and practitioners And whilst I was there at LexisNexis, I, or Butterworth as it was, I started to work with BookAid International, who had a law programme running. And it was through that connection with BookAid International that I then met the lawyers who went on to found the International Law Book Facility. So I've been really involved with it since the start. We got together in about 2003 and finally launched the book charity in 2005 and when I left Nexus in 2015, I carried on volunteering for the ILBF and then became chief executive in
0: 2016. That's a wonderful journey. And what's been your favourite moment with the ILBF so far?
1: Gosh, that is a difficult question to answer. I'm sure everyone says that. <laughs> so for me, it's feedback from the recipients of the books, because that is the most important thing that we're doing. We're getting books to people who need them. And I suppose if I was to pick out, if I can pick out two rather than one, um, but one the first one was going to visit the Central Law Library in Kathmandu in Nepal in 2016, just not not, lo- not that long after the earthquake, and seeing the devastation caused to the law library by the earthquake, but the fact that the lawyers and the students were still research, using the tools to research books to research to, despite the fact they were surrounded by broken walls and shelves that were falling off the wall and that kind of thing and really to see their passion for studying and for and the importance of having access to information I'm happy to say that since that time the library has been repaired but it, it was a real privilege to meet people using the books and the resources that we had sent in person and the second I suppose would be receiving videos from some of our recipients one in particular for very recently from a a lawyer in Rwanda based in Kigali who sent us the most wonderfully enthusiastic video which really spoke volumes about the value of the books to them and that was very important and and really that's why we're doing it my favorite moments.
0: That's great and it, it says on your website that you've managed to send over 70,000 books across the globe. That is in itself a a huge achievement. How do you send 70,000 books across the globe?
1: What's involved? (laughs) Essentially, the books are donated by institutions in the UK. So it could be individual lawyers, law firms, barrister's chambers, law courts, universities. And we essentially match the books that are donated to us to the recipients who want those particular resources. And we organise the shipping. So volunteers it's generally volunteers who pack the books and then we use a shipper to collect them and then send them by sea freight we tend to use sea freight because it's the most economical way to do it and then their books are received at the other end we think in in the time we've, we've been doing this we've shipped to 54 different countries which always astounds me I, can't, I think is it really true and I have to go and count again that it's 54 and I think we may be going up to 56 because we've had We're having a couple of um, applications from countries we've not shipped to before. So it's a process. We we try to get about between 12 and 15 shipments a year, and they vary from 20 boxes to 200 boxes. So we try to, the, the goal is to meet what the recipients want.
0: That's great. And I imagine in this whole process, there are some unique challenges that the ILBF faces, Are there any that you can share and and how you've overcome I
1: suppose the first challenge was where do we start? Do we collect the books or do we get the recipients? Or do we get the recipients and then the books? And we eventually worked that out and books started to come in and then we started to get um, people making applications. So that was the first challenge. And then I suppose the the biggest challenge in some senses is that we don't have an office. So we're very much a virtual organisation. We rely very heavily on our partners to provide some storage space for the books, governance, our trustees and patrons lend their expertise to help us strategically. And we rely very heavily on volunteers, as I was saying. So I suppose overcoming those challenges is really about building enthusiasm and there's there is a huge amount of enthusiasm out there for what we do and a tremendous amount of goodwill from all of our partners from right across the legal community from law students just beginning their studies right up to the Lord chief justice um, lord burnett who launched our essay competition for students back in november when we had our 50th anniversary so The full spectrum of the legal community is behind us, which is which feels really... And yes, we're very grateful for that support.
0: Congratulations. And what do you wish you had known before joining uh, the IBF or or even, I guess, in the early days uh, when you were at LexisNexis?
1: I suppose it's... I didn't join a functioning organisation. It's grown up with me because it didn't exist before I joined, if that makes sense. So I suppose I would say... I wish I'd had more confidence at the time to ask for help because I think one would sometimes bit intimidated by asking very eminent people for, for help but actually I've learned that you can ask because the worst that's going to happen is someone's going to say no and generally speaking they do say yes so I suppose that was what I wish I'd been more confident of at the time.
0: It's a very good piece of advice and I think it applies also to entrepreneurs so yeah Definitely. and so you're sending physical books. are you also considering with the digitalization and also the fact that you are a virtual organization to build a digital library for your global community or are there you know specific reasons why that isn't necessarily something that that you're planning or et cetera?
1: I guess I would say we absolutely believe that legal tech is a huge opportunity for increasing access to justice and diversity in the profession. And that's essentially what we're about. We we want to make sure that access to justice is resourced as well as it can be. And we know that as technology develops, we what we do as an organisation is a very important bridge between that point at which countries and, and organisations further down the track will have access to better tech and where they are now, which may be that they don't have much in the way of resources or few resources. So we're an important bridge to the to that evolution, if you like. And we very, we'd very like to think that in the future there'll be no necessity for the international law of book facility. We'd like to be redundant at some point, but I think that's a long way down the track. And there is a huge still a huge appetite for books because internet connections aren't always as stable as they could be and access to online subscriptions is a bit beyond a lot of organisations because of the cost. So I think there'll always be a place for books, as Richard Sussman was saying at our our launch (coughs) event in last year. But we are thinking about how is it that we might be able to support that digital uh, access to digital materials in the future? Yeah,
0: I think, I think you're right We take for granted the internet connection, stabilities and subscriptions and everything that, you know, allow legal tech or any form of tech to, to thrive. But that's not the case all over the world. I appreciate that so you qualified as a barrister and then joined LexisNexis. So, my question is had, Did you interact with any contracts or have you interacted for any contracts throughout your career? And were there any common areas of friction that you had to overcome? And, and how did you overcome these?
1: Yeah, so that's a very good question. So, I would say that on a personal level, aside from the ILBF, yes, I've in- interacted with a number of contracts, particularly. When I was freelance, so I was a freelance editor, project manager, and so forth. And very often, those freelance contracts were derived from US contracts, mainly because they were, the companies I was doing that work for were US-based, and they didn't reflect those contracts. Did not reflect the conditions, my conditions in the UK, which was frustrating. And I suppose, to be honest, <laughs> the way round it at the time was pretty much to ignore the parts that I had issue with and be just pragmatic. For example, they often had very strict indemnities against any errors that I make on my part and I needed to be insured and this and that but actually I knew that was quite low risk for me because I, I'm an editor and I'm a good editor so I, I knew that was not going to be so much of a problem for myself but it was not an ideal solution and it nearly put me off doing the work in the first place. From the RBF side I suppose the most common contracts we interact with are sh- our shipping agreements and so we've actually use the same shipper since we first started and it's never been an issue mainly because they're fairly standard contracts and they're very customer facing so they're not really they're not drenched in legalese that could put you off so i think it's been a pretty so far positive experience on the lbf front but as a freelancer i would say it was frustrating
0: yes yeah, so I, I can imagine i've heard all sorts of stories from freelancers either not using a contract or choosing a, a prestigious client like Google or whatever to obtain a contract template. And then reuse that template in in other projects. If if you're not, if you don't know what you're doing, it can be quite challenging. And especially if you do read the fine print uh, off-putting, if ever there are clauses, which over, overarch a bit too much. So that's hopefully where legislate can bridge the gap by providing a standard to to improve access to to justice for freelancers in in this specific situation. I'm conscious, Katrina, that I've already taken a lot of your time. So um, I'm going to ask you the closing question we ask all our guests. If you're being sent a contract to sign today, what would impress you?
1: So what would impress me is, as a starting point, clear English, clear, understandable English consistent wording, consistent terminology, not constantly referring to definitions buried somewhere right down at the bottom of the contract. You mentioned small print. I don't know why they call it small print because actually if something's a contract term it should be there up front right in front of you so that you can see it and understand it. So I think that making contracts that are relevant to the contractor's circumstances Having a proportionate approach, approach to risk, being pragmatic, I think those are the things that would Im- impress me. Hope that's answered the question. That's a
0: great answer. And I, I always seem to find that the, the answers to these questions describe legislate or at least uh, part of what legislate is, is trying to do. And I think we, a legislate, we definitely try to write in plain English. Sometimes it is difficult to, to simplify legalese, but, but I think starting with clarity is is a key point for impressive contracts so thank you very much katrina for your time and and for sharing those stories about the ilbf and best of luck shipping many more thousands of books
1: thank you it's uh, been a great pleasure and thank you very much for inviting me